edition of Learning the Tropes. I'm Aaron. I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Oh yeah. Guys, so we're coming at you on a Friday for with a very special author interview. Uh-huh. We read her book, Slow Heat. We loved it so much. We put out a call. She answered the call. Yes. And now she's with us in studio. Um, Lita Blake, she has her newest book coming out is Mr. Naughty List. It's going to be out on November 11th. So in just a few days, guys. Yes. Click it. Perfect for it. Christmas. Yes. Get in the holiday mood. Yeah. So welcome so much. Thanks Thank so much you. for coming. Yes. I'm excited to be here. So we read Slow Heat, immediately fell in love. We're obsessed with it. I was so nervous. <laughs> Were you? I was. There's... I don't know if you're aware, but there's a lot of um, there are a lot of big feelings about male pregnancy books and omega verse books out there in the world, and they can span from "Oh, we love it" to "This is horrible and shouldn't exist in this world." Mm. So I was very nervous when a fan contacted me and said, "Oh, they did this podcast. You have to listen to it." And I was like, "But do I?" <laughs> <laughs> now that must be hard because. I feel like if I wrote a book, I would not be able to listen to podcasters talking about it. I think it's just like you put so much love and, and, and work into something like that. And then to, you know, to to hear people's opinions on it, it might be difficult. Would, did you listen to the episode and did you find it difficult at all? Or I did listen to the episode and I laughed a lot. I thought it was very funny. Um, your takes on it were hilarious. I loved it. There were aspects about... Um, Omegaverse that I was like, mm, that's not quite how that works, but okay. Okay. Um, so we can come you back to that. You yeah. first and only Omegaverse, uh, yeah. so we were just pulling at what we could. Yeah, we yeah. were not thoroughly versed in it. <laughs> no, no. Um, but, no, it, it was scary. Um, but I decided, I mean, it's not like I haven't seen reviews of my books. And I don't consider a book real until I have a one-star review, which <laughs> consists of, ugh, this sucks and I hated it. Mm. Um, or, And I've read, truly, there's nothing more stressful to an author than a three-star review. Because here's, here's what the three stars are. As an author, you have an idea of what you want to put out in the world. And as you get the book finished, you're like, "Mm, this sort of fell short, and you kind of know where it fell short. And those three-star reviews almost invariably nail you at the places that you already felt insecure about the book. So you're like, it's terrible. What have I done? Who told me I could write? (laughs) Um, So those are, you know, I've read enough three-star reviews that I'm like, oh, well, I mean, it can't be worse than a three-star review. I'll listen to it. (laughs) Yeah, but the one-star reviews are are passionate in a different way. So at least you ignited some passion in somebody in a way, right? One-star reviews can often result in people buying the book. Somebody saying, oh, there was gay sex in this book, one-star. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, you know, somebody who's like, well, gay sex in the book. Hot dang. Exactly. One click, you know. (laughs) Well, because I've seen on Amazon specifically um, one-star reviews for books that are like, this book came bent. Oh, and yes. it's they're they're rating the yeah. quality of the paperback that they got, not the actual book, and it drives me nuts. Yes, yeah, 
I, re- I report those comments, by the way. You do. You don't. I want, do. Yeah. No, because it's not. It's not the spirit of it. Yeah. Well, those are actually my favorite kinds of one stars to have because you're like, well, they didn't say anything bad about the book. Uh huh. Yeah. I feel okay. like those are famous in romance where the one star review that's like, too much sex, and you're like, oh well. Yes. Mm. You're like, let's see if that. it's too much. Yeah. You're like, thanks for that one star review. That's going to sell some books. Yeah. I have a coming of age uh, novel called Pictures of You. And one of the one-star reviews is something like, I didn't want to read about a teenage boy's sex diary. And I was like, well, you just sold a bunch of books for me, and they're going to be really disappointed <laughs> when they're reading it, and it is not a teenage boy's sex diary. So <laughs> But funny. an actual coming-of-age book. But, you know, what you wow. going to do? Yeah. yeah. So to go back to the beginning, what got you started uh, what got you um, started in writing and what made what attracted you to the Omegaverse specifically as like a, a space for you to write within? Well, um, those are two very big questions. Do you okay. want to do one first and then the other? Yeah. Okay. Um, I obviously started writing when I was a kid. And when I was about eight years old, um, my mom's not going to love that I'm sharing this, but it's true. When I was about eight years old, I told my mom I want to be a writer when I grew up. And being a loving parent who wants the best for me, she was like, well, honey, you could be a writer as a hobby, but you'll, nobody can make a career out of writing. You just can't. So you'll need to think about another career. Well, I was eight years old, and I believe my mom knew what she was talking about. So I put aside the idea that I could ever be a writer, started looking into other things, studied psychology, went into finance, um, became a financial advisor. It was incredibly stressful hated it. I would wake in the night at three in the morning. Like, did I help those people make the right choices? What happens if I was wrong? You know, what about their future? (laughs) It was just too much for me. So I took a step back and became an assistant to a financial advisor. Soul deadening work for me personally. Um, Did that until I was about 38. And, um, but during that time I did start writing. So in my late twenties, I went through a deep depression that had a lot to do with infertility issues and, um, miscarriages and things like that. Mm. Um, and I was so unhappy. I remember going to my husband and saying, would it be stupid for me to start writing? And he was like, no, just do it. So I started writing fan fiction actually back in the day. And, um, I wrote a lot of, Smallville fan fiction. I wrote um, queer as folk fan fiction. And for some reason, it was always gay fan fiction, which I never really questioned at the time. Didn't question that, question that until I was in my late 30s. And I was suddenly like, this had additional meaning. <laughs> but we can come back to that later, too. Um, and so I learned a lot from fandom. Um, people, especially back in the early 2000s, were really into doing criticisms of fan fictions. So I would put a fan fiction up. I would get these very intelligent like people from academia or attorneys come along and just rip it to shreds. This is what is wrong with this story. She failed here, here, and here. And I learned so much from that. Yeah, that's an amazing education. Yeah. yeah. It was like a great writing school. Low um, 
I didn't pay anything for it. <laughs> it was free. free. Yes. Yeah. Free writing school education. Now, my from what I can tell, fandom has changed a bit and it's become much more like let's not hurt anybody's feelings. And I don't see a whole lot of those constructive criticisms happening anymore. But back in the early 2000s, absolutely. And I learned so much from it. And then I continued with writing fan fiction until I was about 37, 38. And I suddenly had this realization of holy crap. I need to do something with my writing. So I started writing books at that time and uh, sought out a friend who was published and she helped me get my first fairy tales published. They sold terribly. Looking back, they were kind of rough. And then I self-published my first book and had unbelievable success with that and haven't looked back since then. So that's one thing I would like to say to anybody out there who's in their 20s or their early 30s who's like, why isn't my life together? You got time, so I didn't get my life together till I was thirty-eight. <laughs> I started publishing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that so much, especially because I feel like in this culture, there's always so much uh, emphasis put on like the wonder kid, like the the twenty-one-year-old who gets a giant book deal or yeah. sells this thing, and you know. And I just love that you just quietly moved towards the thing you loved as you could until you were at a place where you felt confident enough to to really put it out there for money to publish it and then yeah that it feels like the universe really answered you there because you know you are definitely very talented very successful oh yeah I will well thank you thank you I do think part of the delay was that I was writing mainly gay works and Mm -hmm. you really didn't have gay romance come on the scene until about 2006 and that's when you started seeing like Josh Lanyon I guess Josh Lanyon was maybe 2004 Josh Lanyon was one of the first. Um, And then you had Heidi Cullinan and some other people starting in about 2006. Uh, Kira Andrews, amongst some others. So when I first started writing gay stories that were my own about 2004 that were not fan fiction related, um, I kept reaching out and saying, what do I do with these? And people kept saying, nothing. Nobody wants these stories. Um, I... You know, spoke with people who were published authors, and they were like, "No, these, you know, they're not going to publish this because it's it's too gay. If you make this straight," and there were a number of authors who did go that route, like um, uh, Naomi Novik, for example, with her um, Dragon series. Is it Temeraire? It's a fantasy series. It was originally started out her idea was gay, and they were like, mm, "No." we love your fantasy idea and this dragon series could be a huge thing. And it did become a huge thing, but it can't be gay. So she ended up putting in like this really strong female character that when you're reading it, if you know the original idea was gay, you're like, I see what you did there, but the female character is fantastic and the books are amazing. So, but back at that time, there just weren't opportunities and self-pub was not a thing. It didn't exist yet. I mean, it did, but it was like on such a small scale and it was vanity publishing for the most part. You didn't have Amazon with its ginormous reach uh, making that viable. So, so it, it's, it's funny that like that, you know, your education, your free education, <laughs> um, it it's it it culminated in like this time of life where like Amazon came and gave you that reach, and if that if you hadn't started writing and done all that stuff, you wouldn't have been ready. Right. It's just I mean I feel like you know we were saying it again, but it's 
I just quit my job recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, the universe kind of opened itself to me and gave me a lot of things that I didn't have when I had this bad job. And it's true, it works, but you have to do the work beforehand. Yes. And you have, you know, you can't just be like, I'm quitting my job and I've never written anything and I want to write. Right. Now, you can do that. You absolutely can do that. But there's going to be a long time before you probably see any sort of dividends from that. Yes. Like talk about jumping off a, a cliff there. Yeah. <laughs> With no parachute. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You had the parachute yeah. ready for when you had the cliff that you wanted to dive yeah. off of. So yes. that's good. Once you, yeah. Once you saw that cliff, you were, yeah. Yeah. But you're like, is, good thing yeah, I packed yeah. my chute. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, that's what Oprah always says, uh, that uh, luck is um, preparation meets opportunity. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned that you didn't realize why you were writing gay stories until your late 30s. And sort of what was the realization and why do you write gay stories? Well, I actually um, identify as um, gender fluid and pansexual. Mm -hmm. And most of my life, I just assumed that what I was told was my identity was my identity. I met my husband when I was 14 and he was 16. We were high school sweethearts. So I had no need to explore outside of that relationship. So I would have these feelings and attractions and I would tell myself, you just have an amazing imagination. I would think, you know, that, that isn't real. It's my imagination. And it wasn't until I was in my late 30s that I started really examining it and saying, you know, if I hadn't been with my husband, if I had been able to say, oh, this is a real attraction to this person, then I would have definitely been able to act on that. And that would have made it, quote unquote, real. And then I realized action doesn't make it real. It's not because I acted on something. The attraction is real. Mm -hmm. So I have a very complicated um, um, attraction way of being and that sometimes I feel attracted to men as women, as a woman, and sometimes I feel attracted to men as a man, and it's a very different sensation. Sometimes I feel attracted to women as a woman, and sometimes I feel attracted to women as a man, and that's very different, and it's actually one of the easier ways to explain it, so... When I'm attracted to a woman as a woman, it's usually a butch woman, and I want to be, like, the girly girl with the butch woman. When I'm attracted to a woman as a man, I literally want to be, like, 6'2", and <laughs> and I want to wash her car for her mm-hmm. and barbecue her up some burgers, and I want to watch her raise our babies, you know, and it's very different than my attraction and other situations. So for years, I was just like, oh, I've got a great imagination. And then suddenly one day I was like, no, these are real feelings, real attractions. And no wonder you've been writing gay books all these years. It was a way for you to experience this without having the body to experience it. And so in a way, that's part of what I was doing with Slow Heat was taking all my gender feels and shoving them together into an Omegaverse and saying, let's just put all of this here. And I've been asked, you know, why did you choose? Because Omegaverse doesn't require that there only be men. You can have Omegaverses with women in them as well. 
So people have said, you know, why did you just have men in this Omegaverse? And interestingly enough, you nailed it completely, which is one reason. Oh, he's going to be so proud. Why I wanted to do this (laughs) with you guys is because you did nail it. There is something different about putting the reproductive conundrum on a male body and having to, you know, removing the whole living my life in a woman's body being for the most part considered a woman being treated as a woman has a lot of baggage with it. If you can remove all of that from the fantasy universe you've built and just have male bodies, the emotional response to that is huge. doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man, you're going to have a big response to it. You're either going to like it and think, oh, that's kind of interesting and amazing and I haven't thought of it that way, or you're going to get real mad. Okay. There are a lot of gay men out there who get mad. A lot of gay men love it. I get tons of messages from gay men who are like, oh, I love, I love male pregnancy. I love Omegaverse. I love the fantasy that I could have a baby with my lover that would be ours. It's such a beautiful fantasy of mine. And then there are gay men out there who feel very violated by this feel like you're feminizing the man and there's a lot of internalized yeah. misogyny coming to the surface there feminizing the man I yes. think. yeah definitely yes. so um yeah that's how I eventually came to 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 write slow heat I I was first exposed to Omegaverse in fandom obviously years ago and it was actually not even my fandom I was just randomly clicking around online and clicked on an x-men fan fiction (laughs) I was like what is happening in this story what is this about so I started reading it and I was like this is amazing and messed up and I love it (laughs) this is great and then I started looking into it more and there was already at that time within fandom the same similar discussions that are now happening in the broader romance community about is this appropriate is this sexist is this misogynistic is this you know all of these questions about is it even okay to write this so I started thinking yeah it's okay to write this and I have ideas about how I would want to do it to address all of these issues you guys have about it. But I never actually wrote it. (laughs) Then um, a couple of autumns ago, I was in the Walgreens picking up a prescription. And over the intercom, the song Electric Blue by Ice House from the 1980s. I love that song. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Came on. And the character of Vale was like, hello. This is my song, and this is my situation, and you're going to write my book. And I was like, "Um, good sir, I do not have time for you. (laughs) I have a lot of other books on my plate right now. And he was like, nope, I'm going to pull your hair, and you're going to listen to this song 27 times a day on Spotify (laughs) while you bang this out. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that for you. And yet he was correct. I did indeed listen to Electric (laughs) Blue all day, every day for about three months. I can't tell you what it is about that song, but Vale friggin' loves it. And so whenever I would write, I had to put that on. And next thing I knew, I had written this almost on a whim. And I literally thought, it doesn't matter if anybody reads it. No one's going to read it. I slapped it up thinking, 
well, you know, I mean, I didn't slap it up. I yeah. went through the editing process and the proofing process and all of that. But I put it up thinking this is not going to go anywhere. And it went to number two mm-hmm. and stayed there and stayed there and stayed there. And then people are still reading it. It's just, it's unbelievable to me. It's been a real, um, I guess, success. So I was shocked. I was like, well, thank you for showing up in Walgreens. And Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny because that does illuminate his personality a lot for me too. Because that, like, that kind of music, I was a kid when that kind of stuff was mm-hmm. out, but like, a band like, you know, Breathe. Do you remember Breathe? Like, Hands mm-hmm. to Heaven and stuff. Like, that kind of thing. I used to listen as a kid, and that was my idea of romance. Mm-hmm. So I, like, now I'm very much like, I'm on his same wavelength. You get it, yeah. I get it. But <laughs> the thing about the book that we loved so much, I mean, I don't want to speak for Aaron, but I think we said this on the podcast, is that the characters' emotions were so true, and the just, I, there was, there's just so much feeling in it that, you don't find in a lot of regular romances, like, you know, even historicals or modern romances, like there is just something so passionate about all these characters and their interactions with each other that I just completely fell in love with it. And I was blown away because I never expected, I obviously, because, you know, from our podcast, we didn't really know <laughs> what, um, what, wh- what we were stepping into, but I was just so blown away. And uh, that's why we really wanted to have you on because mm-hmm. I just... <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of my favorite that we've I've read what about forty or fifty? It's like now? fifty. This was and it's yeah. in my it's like it's in my like top three, definitely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So Thank you. yeah, and I it, that's what's great about this podcast. It was such an unexpected thing. It was in an unexpected place, and that's what makes me love romance so much, is that you can find these amazing books in all these unexpected places. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Romance is great. Yeah, we. I mean, we love it. Yeah, <laughs> we read an insane amount now for the podcast oh, and everything. Um, but no, I would love to hear more about the Omega Verse and sort okay. of how it worked. Like, is it the sort of thing where you have your version of it, like vampire novels? Like every vampire novel, they set up their own rules. So you set up your rules. Somebody else has their rules. What makes it exactly? Yeah, there, there is no. That was one thing from the first podcast that you guys did. I was like, mm, it's not quite like that. There seemed to be the impression that there was an Omegaverse, that everyone had agreed to how the rules worked. But that's that's not it. The general idea is that in an Omegaverse, you have a non-shifter. So it's somebody that's not like a, a wolf shifter getting pregnant because that's another way to explore impreg. Um, but it's human beings getting pregnant. Um, and... Usually you have the eight, what's known as the ABO dynamics. You have the alpha, beta, omega dynamic where you have an alpha who can impregnate an omega. But even some omega verses will allow betas to impregnate omegas. And some omega verses have women who are alphas, betas, and omegas. And so, yes, you can have a woman impregnate an omega woman there are actually diagrams that you can find online where people are explaining how this can work. Yeah. <laughs> um, I stumbled on one of those when I was like, how, 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 do, I was curious because somebody said, oh, you, you know, this, this is an Omega verse and it's two women. And I was like, but how? So I started Googling <laughs> it and found some diagrams about different 
things growing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when stimulated by the, the heat response. Now, heat is usually something in an omegaverse too, but not always. Nodding is often in an omegaverse, but not always. Um, yeah, so it's very variable depending on who has built the universe. And this all started, like you said, from fan fiction, correct? So mm-hmm. uh, that was, you know, you would have, you know, uh, Riker and Picard. Yeah. Things like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wolverine. That was a great and- peering to pull out of your head. I love that one. <laughs> yeah. I think most people ship Picard and Data. But, mm-hmm. Picard and Data. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Why, why, why do you think that is? Uh, I don't know because I don't ship them. Okay. But, like, I just, who, I just see it out there in the world. Who would you ship when you would write... Oh, I always shipped um, Picard and the Whoopi Goldberg character. Oh, mm. yes. They always had the best yeah. sexual attention. Yeah, yeah, I loved them. I was like, Guinan, that was her name. Guinan, right? yeah. Guinan. I just remember she was the bartender. She had that yeah. hat. Yes. I loved it. So, yeah. I, don't know. I didn't ship appropriately. Oh. <laughs> Actually, I think that was probably the appropriate ship. I don't know. Like, I think everybody shipped that a little bit, but some yeah. people ship Data and Picard. I don't know. That's. I'm gonna have to look into that. Mm-hmm. I have a, a friend Annie who listens to the show, and she, when I mentioned Slow Heat, she she mentioned like, oh, I used to listen, I used to uh, read fan fiction all the time, mm-hmm. and she was giving me all the kind of some of the rules, but it was like way over my head because mm-hmm. I I think I told her before I read. Uh, slow heat. She was trying to explain this stuff, and I was like, I just can't follow it. Yeah. But she, it was so entrenched in her because she had read it when she was like a teenager and, yeah. and stuff. Um, but then after I read it, a lot of it made sense. But yeah, that that was a whole thing I had no clue about either. Um, the celebrity or the character shipping, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which it's like also I don't know if this is like a derogatory, but slash fiction is that also a, the same thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, slash fiction I think has actually gone. I think that term has gone away. Yeah. Uh, my daughter is active. She's thirteen. She's active in fandom, and she doesn't talk about slash ships anymore. Okay. So slash ships originally were because you didn't have actual gay ships on shows, and so people would use non like two heterosexual guys together and ship them. Um, And it was called a slash ship. But now, even if they're doing that, even if they don't have an actual gay ship that they're doing, if it's um, two heterosexual guys they're putting together, they just don't call it slash anymore. Okay. Call it a gay pairing. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to offend the, because I don't know the terminology, but that was the only thing I'd heard of. Back in the day. Yeah, slash fic back in the day. That's what we called it when I was writing it. Yeah. Is now, you don't have to, is there any of your stuff still on any of those places that, and do you use the different name though? Or I used a different name, um, but I didn't want, I, I do, yes, and okay. it's still out there. We'll keep that a mystery. Yeah. Go find it. I find guess. it and then it's see not, if you it's can. It's not t- a big secret. It's not oh, it's a big secret. You can okay. find it pretty easily okay. if you started digging. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not shy about it. It's just, you know, it's It's, it's stuff you did in the past. Yeah. 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 Well, your first books or your yeah. first tries are always yeah. like a little bit. Yeah. And you're a creator, yeah. so you're always moving forward. I mean, I still mm-hmm. get comments on them from the um, AO3 website. Just last week, I wrote one when my daughter was really young. I was sick with the flu, and she was obsessed with the show Charlie and Lola, which is a British cartoon. And I was like, 
clearly Charlie and his best friend Marv are going to grow up to be boyfriends. <laughs> so I wrote this I wrote this story for Charlie and Lola and I still get about once a week comments from people like, oh my God, I always loved Charlie and Lola and Marv and Charlie were totally a couple. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. Oh. So there's that too where they do grown up for so like like yeah. Calvin and Susie from Calvin and Hobbes or something. They would write that exactly. as their grown ups. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I never actually read a lot of Omega Verse. I literally read that one X Men story and was like, because when I realize if I read something I find inspiring in some way, and I realize I'm gonna want to do something with this one day, I don't want to pollute my mind. Not pollute's the wrong word, but I don't want to influence my mind with other people's visions. Because then I, you know, I'm just worried I'll accidentally steal something from someone. So I just was like, well, I want to do something with this concept. So I, I've never actually read another one after that. But I do know how they work just based on existing in, in the fanish environment. So. It gave you the spark and that's all you needed. Yeah. Yeah. So Slow Heat was your first Omegaverse? That I ever wrote, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right out the gate. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I loved it. It was it was uh, a really good distraction at the time and just needed to get it out. And I was going through um, a best friend breakup. That's the hardest. It's the hardest. So it was a good distraction. Yeah, yeah that's tough. Yeah. I don't feel like that's explored enough in the culture, like the best friend breakup. Because yeah. I had that like two years ago and it's still affecting me. No, it's hard. It's, yeah. It's still, no, it's, yeah. It's, it doesn't go away. <laughs> it doesn't go away. Because those are like, I feel like like romantic relationships are are a lot like glass balls. They're very delicate, and they you know you have to really make sure not to break them. And like good friendships feel more like Tupperware. Yeah. So when your Tupperware breaks, you're like, oh, what? What am I going? Where going to store my food? Yeah, exactly. What? This is that's what's happening. I'm going to have to just eat everything I make because <laughs> yes. there's no place to put it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. That's actually a great analogy. Thank you. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> yeah, it is so because you know, it's like you've you've got these feelings, and normally you would have gone to this person with them, right? And it's not like you can't go to your husband with them or your other good friend, but it's not the same. So no, it's been it's been hard. So, but that was where I put a lot of um, my my mind to not stress about that too much at the time. Yeah, it's it's good to have that outlet, though. I'm sure, like you're saying, like the things in your life you're able to work through with your writing, yes. which without that outlet would probably be pretty difficult. So, like when you were working at the job you didn't like, you were still writing. Was then that was was that your outlet? Was that where you would go with all these you know feelings that you're like, where where is this coming from? I need to get this out. Yeah. You know, instead of having a diary, do you have like a journal or anything or do you do through the characters? I did a journal all through my teen years and then um, I had live journal back in the early 2000s who didn't. Right. <laughs> um, and I did kind of do a daily thing when I had a day job and I was stuck at a desk. I actually and, and live journal was um, around you know, if I wasn't working on something, I was like, oh, I'll write up about my day and all my thoughts and on my live journal. Who, who has time for that anymore? I don't know. I don't. So, no, I don't keep a journal anymore. Mm-mm. I mean, the most might be Facebook where I post updates about things. Yeah. Now, earlier you said that Val talked to you. Yeah. Now, we were talking before the podcast. Mm-hmm. You have an interesting uh 
relationship with your characters. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I think there are several different types of writers. Some writers feel very active the that they create their characters. I don't feel that way. I'm a bit more woohoo about it in that I feel like characters come to me and they come to me pretty much fully formed. They usually have a name. Um, they they just sort of appear. And so, um, yeah, Vale was one of those characters in that he just appeared like, hello, here I am, fully born. My name is Vale. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have other characters, and they can be very demanding. I have one from uh, my first self-published book, which was Training Season. It's about a figure skater and a rancher, an Olympic-level figure skater. Um, and if you've ever done any research into Olympic-level figure skaters, there's a lot of stuff that can go on there with in terms of um, weight issues and competition and the kind of personality that can get to that level is a very interesting personality. So this character arrived, his name was Maddie, and I wrote his first book and gave him a happy ending. He showed up about a year later and was like, hey, hey, how about we write a second book? <laughs> And it'll be a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. It'll be a novella. It'll be short. And it'll be funny. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, readers <laughs> loved you, Maddie. Let's, let's do it. He was a liar. <laughs> it ended up being a 100,000-word novel with eating disorder, self-harm, intense BDSM <laughs> stuff. And I was like, Maddie, <laughs> you lied to me. So um, a lot of times readers will ask me, oh, is Maddie ever going to get married? Because at the end of the second book, there's this indication that that might happen. And uh, he would love that. He always appears. As soon as I bring that up, he always appears in my mind. and is like, yes, I would love to be a bride. <laughs> that's his personality. And, uh, but I'm too afraid to write him because he always likes to take things to the limit. And I don't feel like I get to make those choices for him because he just takes over the book and runs roughshod over any plans I might have and just does what he wants. And oftentimes it's a bit scary and it's often what readers don't necessarily want to see in a character. So he's been put aside for now. He would he would love to be a bride, though. <laughs> now, are we encouraging him by talking about him on the podcast? Is he going to bug you with a whole plane ride home, do you think, now? Uh, I would love, actually, if he would do that because that would actually be fun. But, no, he won't. I don't know. He's pretty content right now. I think he scares himself. Oh. Yeah. Do you think he's got some self-reflection going on yes. at the moment? Mm-hmm. I've been do- I have a Patreon, um, and I do occasionally do shorts for his character. And... I did one just recently for him, and I was shocked. I was like, is this going to be safe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was good. He, he went through the whole thing, and it was very good, and I enjoyed the short, and I hope my readers do too. It'll be out at the end of November. It was a Thanksgiving short for him and uh, his boyfriend. And um, fingers crossed that yeah. they like it. But anyway, yeah, so I, I, I always, if somebody, if a character shows up and they show up hard and strong, I'm going to go with it, even if they scare me. Because what's the fun of writing if you're not actually allowing yourself to excavate the stuff that's scary? Um, But for whatever reason, I think he actually scares himself, and so he hasn't showed up with demands. Okay. I have another character named Peter that a lot of readers love, but he's too patient. He never shows up saying, I'm next and you're going to write me now. 
So he, I have readers who are always like, can you please tell him to be less kind <laughs> to you? I'm like, no, he's just, that's the way he is. So, um, yeah. It's interesting. I feel like other people, I feel like readers think that we sit down and make choices about our characters. And there are superficial things that you can make choices about. Like I'll usually draft a book and I'll just do whatever the characters want. Then once it's done, I can go back in and say, mm, this is maybe going to cause problems with readers. Why don't we tweak this so you can still get the same end result, but without this happening that might upset somebody. So, so you're almost their PR person. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a little, <laughs> let's kind of pull back on that a little bit. Yes. Um, but that can so only happen in editing. If you start trying to pull that on them when they're in the moment, then they'll just stop and the scene stops and you can't write anymore. So do you, um, do you outline first or do you just no. go listen to them, put whatever they're feeling and then it's PR time? I'm definitely what they call a pantser, which means I'd write by the seat of my pants. I don't generally... That was so hard when I was at RWA and everyone had the pantser ribbons and I was like, now what could that be? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I finally yeah. had to Google yeah. it. I was like, oh, this makes sense. But it's, you know, yes. I was like, do we not go close to them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I hadn't thought of it Did with they... that meaning of being That pantser. was yeah, the yeah, only yeah, thing yeah. I thought of. <laughs> Did they have to introduce themselves and be like, I'm a pantser. I yeah. need to stay this far away from I'm you. I'm just going to, I um, can't control myself pulling other yeah, people's yeah. pants. It's a condition. Oh, it's like hilarious. Joker had his card. He'd have to yeah. hand it and be like, I pants people. It's a condition. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. And you it's guys. all very seemingly nice ladies. So yeah. Like, yes. yeah. Oh, wow. oh, that's so funny. No, it means that you write by the seat of your pants yeah. instead of having sense. an outline. Mm-hmm. And so I can't go into it completely blind. So somebody, I'll get it. I'll get an idea and I'll say, Oh, well, this is how it starts, and then this will happen, and then this is probably the crisis, and then they have a happy ending, mm-hmm. and that's all I know. And for me, part of the fun of writing is discovering. If I know it all in advance, I have no desire to write it. Then it's just the hard work. You know, if, I'm, if I don't know what's going to happen next, if I only have a vague idea of it, then there's that joy, that mm, that delicious feeling where it all clicks into place. And honestly, that's probably the biggest high that I get from writing is when it clicks into place. I love hearing from readers. That's a huge high as well. But the biggest high for me is when I've written myself into a situation and suddenly click, I know how to get us out of here. You know, that's just this rush. So the part where you're like, I know these are the characters, this is going to be the big um, point, and then the HEA, is that all just in your mind as you're going throughout your day, you just are mulling on that, or is that something that you write out? Well, I definitely spend some time percolating ideas. So for example, for the for the, the, the Heat of Love series, which Slow Heat is the first one, I have, an, I have two more ideas that I want to work on. One is called Baby Fever. And the other one is called Steady Heat. And so right now, I know that I need to start working on those in the next month or so. So I'm doing specific reading and listening to music to try and generate the right vibe. So, for example, with um, with Steady Heat, I already know who the characters are going to be. It's going to be um, 
uh, they might be in Alpha Heat, which I don't think you guys have read. Anyway, so it'll be some characters that have already been introduced. And um, I'm, I'm reading um, Half the Sky, which is a book about oppression of women around the world. And part of the reason I'm reading through it is I'm looking for ideas about how to further deal with um, trafficking and concepts around that. Because one of the things I know about the first three books in the series is that what readers are responding to are the ways that real life oppression is being reflected in this different way. Mm -hmm. So for me to continue on with the series, I need to find another way to look at real life oppression. And I think it's going to be trafficking. I'm not sure. So I'm kind of percolating that. Um, but I do know what the actual problem is for this couple. And the couple is an omega and a beta. So if you have an omega who goes into heat and they require the services of an alpha to get mm. through this and you're a beta, what are you going to do? How is this going to work out for them long term? And so I know that that will be the relationship crisis, but what um, am I putting around it? I'm still sort of exploring with books. The baby fever one, I know that I want it to be, um, again, it's a secondary character from uh, Bitter Heat this time. And I want to explore this person finally getting to have a baby or getting a baby. And so I'm doing a lot of reading of, believe it or not, women who run with the wolves because I want to have that sort of like witchy, um, woodsy feeling to it that comes from that book. So I've been reading that and thinking about fairy tales and the way that fairy tales um, inform stories and what pieces of these symbols can I take into this book. So I do a lot of percolating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when Slow Heat came to you, when Vale showed up in the mm -hmm. Walgreens, did you know that it was going to be sort of around the themes of like reproductive rights and infertility? Or as you were writing, was that sort of a surprise? Is that something that you had been thinking about? Um, when he showed up, what he showed up with was this image of Jason. So mm -hmm. that was the first thing that I saw was that there was this much younger alpha and this was something he wasn't comfortable with, but wanted. So that was what he initially showed up with. But I, I would say that part of my thinking about um, Omega verse and Impreg in general over the years has always included, you know, reproductive rights, like how that feels when it's on a male body. So, yeah. And as I said earlier, um, I have had my own histories with infertility and miscarriages and things like that. And there was a part of me that wanted to to process all of that in ways that I had never allowed myself by writing it into the book. So, yes, I guess that did show up like that. But that was a conscious choice. That mm -hmm. was less veil and more like, hmm. All of this is a bunch of emotional junk that I've been carrying around. What happens if I process this with this character? And he was amenable to that idea. He was like, yeah, sure. Okay, that works for me. So, let's just listen to Electric Blue again. Okay? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bill's such a nice guy, though. Yeah, and Jason's so sweet, too. That was another thing that, because there is the, the age difference, but 
you could see they're both sweet people. And, you know, it was one of those things where it didn't seem it didn't come off as inappropriate or, 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 or creepy in their feelings for each other, where it could in some other books, depending on your, you know, how you feel about age differences. Yes. But there's just that's the thing. All your characters were had such kind hearts. And even when they were spurned or they, you know, were jealous, you still saw that they cared about each other. And I think that's just, it's so beautiful. And like I, I said on the podcast, I do think that's a book, the book that should be taught in schools. And the reason being <laughs> is because of that is because men don't understand. And I don't even fully understand because I've never lived through it. The policing of women's bodies. That is not something that like men my age or even like not like 18 year olds, 15 year olds, 17 year olds, they don't think about that. Men don't think about that. So if it is put in that for them, they can at least understand what women are going through. And then that will breed some empathy, I hope. I I couldn't see how it wouldn't. I was so overwhelmed, actually, when I did listen to it. I know I told you I was afraid to listen to it. But then when I did listen to it, I was like, oh, my gosh, they got it. Like, they really got it. Because there were so many opportunities within the concept and perhaps even within the book where somebody could choose to not get it and just decide to make fun of it or trash it or whatever. And so I I figured my fan would not have alerted me to the podcast if that was like our vibe in general. Yes. Yeah. Um but I was so excited. I actually I actually did cry when I listened to the podcast because you got it. Mm-hmm. Oh. It was a joyful cry where I was like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. They understood what I was trying to do." So, yeah, I was thrilled. Thank you. No. Oh, thank you for I thank you we for coming it. on because yeah as soon as we recorded that episode we we're like we gotta interview her we gotta get her here somehow <laughs> no I because normally we don't really we won't really talk about the book before we see each other before we record and mm-hmm. I was I said on the podcast I was reluctant to read it because I had no experience with Mpreg and I was like is this going to be really overly silly um I don't and I don't like and. I don't ever want to trash a book. So I'm like, if this is going to be not great and then I don't know what I can really say positive about it. But instead I obsessed with it and loved it. And I was like, if Clayton doesn't like this, what will I do? (laughs) I don't, I can't go there with him about anything negative. And then no, I saw him and he was like, I'm in love with the Omega (laughs) first. That's it's it is so funny because oh and we, you had posted that you were gonna listen or you had posted something about us doing it and I was like she seems really nice and now I really hope I like this book so I was like so grateful that I did genu- I post it you posted that we were going to be doing it and I was like oh somebody must have alerted me in advance I know yeah. it was a reader contacted me and said oh look this is you know. yeah well no which was very nice of you to do we appreciate it but then I was just like oh if and if we don't like it and I know she'll probably listen and I got stressed out but then I didn't have to pretend. No. I'm so because glad. Because genuinely, we really, really <laughs> loved it. It's so funny because me and Aaron are, uh, we seem to like the same. It's rare mm-hmm. that we disagree over, and it's not on purpose. Like, we don't say we're going to agree that we like this or don't like this. We just seem to have the same taste in romance, which is is odd, but great. Because then we're able to gush and it's not one person trying to get somebody else to like something they're not going to like. Because it's just not, you know. Um, it's, that's not a fun thing to listen to. I don't think, but no. so are you, you, do you read romance? Do you, is that something that you will do or are you just so inundated with it? I love romance. Okay. Um, I, 
my actual reading jam, so to speak, is young adult um, fantasy. But I only really like it if there's romance as well in the book. In fact, I only really like anything if there's romance in it. So, for example, when I was a kid, I used to read the Trixie Belden mysteries. I don't know if you guys, if you've been heard of those, because Nancy Drew is more popular. But I loved Trixie Belden because Trixie's next-door neighbor's brother was clearly meant to be. (laughs) And so I always read every single one of those books purely because I wanted Trixie to get together with Jim. The mysteries, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They're just distractions <laughs> yeah. from the romance. <laughs> yes. I was like, could this not have just been about Trixie and Jim, really? Um, so, uh, for example, even now I'll be watching a TV show or something with my husband and my daughter, and I'll be like, why am I not enjoying this? There is no romance. <laughs> you know, and I, that's, that's the hook for me in everything. But I don't actually sit down and read a lot of of genre romance that much like I said young adult fantasy is my absolute favorite but it's got to have romance in it or what's the point yeah yeah now do you have any tropes you look because we're learning the tropes so Mm -hmm. we always have to ask about tropes do you have any tropes that you love either Mm -hmm. reading or writing I do love reading enemies to lovers because I actually think I'm not very good at writing it so I that that's one too often if it's something that I like to write if I start to read somebody else's version I'm like that's not how I would have done that <laughs> but if it's something I'm not very good at writing um, then I'm like oh yeah this is great give me more I love I, I don't know if this counts as a trope but I love jealousy in books and I know that that's kind of not correct anymore and so a lot of people are writing that out of their books and I get frustrated because I'm like they should have been jealous there that would have made that so much more feeling for me um I don't know why jealousy is it's almost like becoming synonymous with an abusive or like overly possessive overly possessive no but I agree I do like a little bit of a jealous moment or something just because it's like overcome by passion but then yeah yeah, it it is I like I like it like you know the ex-boyfriend shows up Mm mm-hmm and there's that moment. I like that. I don't like it if it's too much. Yeah, you don't want, like, you know, him to start a fight with the ex-boyfriend. But I definitely want him to be, like, mm. Storm off or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. or just have an internal moment of, of something or where they're a little, like, put the arm around the person. Just, just my girlfriend now or mm-hmm. boyfriend. Yeah, because I don't so. think the feeling of jealousy is necessarily bad. I think it's what you do with that. Yes. That needs to change more than we're all going to feel jealous. It's just the case. But you have to then know how to deal with it. And yeah. I think maybe if you cut out jealousy, it's not teaching people or mm-hmm. showing people how to deal with jealousy. Yeah. It's making it sound like, oh, it's bad if you're jealous. Don't be jealous at all. Yes. We're all going to be jealous. Yes. Yeah. I always, and I mean, I always love opposites attract, you know, where you've got like the stoic person and the bubbly person. I like that. Um I love snowed in. Yeah. Snowed in's always good. Those are good. Uh, who doesn't love snowed in? <laughs> only one bed. Erin's yeah. a big only one bed. Only one bed. <laughs> She's the only one bed. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a uh, shave me. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. He came up with his own trope and he's been, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'll shave me. I'll do what me. I can with that. Yeah. I, haven't, I don't know that I've done a shave me. That's it's just his goal really, is just to get it in every book. Every book. Well, I'm waiting for, uh, like, uh, when I meet my person and then they'll just shave this mess of a beard that I have. And mm-hmm. then everyone will know that I've found my 
mate. Found the one. Yeah. They saved you. <laughs> I am mating now. <laughs> I am in the mating phase. You're like a reverse Amish. Yes. Uh, well, guys, I feel like because I said that my mom wasn't supportive of me when I was young, I've got to say, because she's probably going to listen to us. Okay, yes. Um, <laughs> I've got to say my mom and my family are so supportive of me now. Um, my mom reads all of my books, which I actively try and forget while I'm writing. <laughs> <laughs> and but good for her, yes. just opening her mind. Yeah. Yes, and she's very proud of me and tells all of her friends about my books. And yes, they're very supportive. That's point. great. Yeah. Well, she should be proud. Yes. Thank you. I think she is. I think she is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what do you have uh, coming up? Who is talking to you right now? What can fans start looking forward to? So as I said earlier, I do have a new release coming out on November 11th, fingers crossed, called Mr. Naughty List. And it is a um, it's a teacher with his former student. So it's a bit naughty. Yeah, yes. it's a little taboo. Love yeah. it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> um, here's a funny story about that book, actually. Um, I sent it off to my editor, and I'd already had the cover made. And she came back, and she said, Babe, that is a pretty cover, but this book is smoking hot. And that cover <laughs> is not reflective of what is in this book. And you got to get a new cover. <laughs> So I had to have a second cover made that reflected the contents a bit better. So that's coming out. A Christmas novel, Smoking Hot, uh, former student with his teacher on November 11th, Mr. Naughty List. And then I plan to start working pretty quickly on more Heat of Love stories, which is what uh, Slow Heat is from. So I have... I have to get on those pretty soon, but they're, they're not even being drafted yet. I do have a book that I'd like to put out in the spring called Enemy for Sale, and it's under my other pen name, Blake Moreno, that I do slightly darker stories. I know that's hard to believe after Slow Heat that it could actually be a little bit darker. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so that is, a, um, that is a sequel to uh, another Omega verse that I did as Blake Moreno called Heat for Sale. And again, it's a bit darker. I did it as Blake Moreno to keep it separate from Lee to Blake. Because the rules are different. As okay. I was saying earlier, you can have different rules. So the rules are a bit different in that one. Um, and I would like to have by spring a book that I think I'm going to call Afterglow, but I'm not entirely sure that will be set in Paris. And mm. I've also been researching and percolating it with, um, weirdly enough, these guys are obsessed with the new Taylor Swift album. <laughs> they just want to listen to Lover all the time. <laughs> it's to the point that I can't listen to anything from that album <laughs> because then these guys come and say, you must write us, us now, now, now. I'm like, no, I'm so, so, uh, I had to put that aside. My 13-year-old daughter is like, mom, we have to listen to Taylor. Like, but then I have to write this book. <laughs> it's a great album, though. Yes, it's I enjoyed a return it. to form. Yes, it was super enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I always liked Taylor, though. I, I, well, I was not a country fan, so the country stuff was a bit. But I loved Red. Red, Red was the turning point for yeah. me. Mm, loved Red's Red. Almost a perfect album, I would yeah. say. Yes. Back to the story. So these guys love Lover by Taylor Swift, and um, I think it's going to be called Afterglow, which I think is, like, related to one of the songs mm -hmm. on the album. So we'll see. Yeah, set in Paris. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. 
So where can they find you, fans? Do you have Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff? or I have all that fun stuff. I've got Instagram. I've got Twitter. Um, Facebook, if you look for Lita Blake, you can find me on any of those. Um, I also have a website, litablake.com. You can find me on Amazon. Just search for Lita Blake. I will show up. Um, yeah, I've got all of that. I'm, my daughter says that my Instagram is not healthy enough and I need to post more there. But I'm pretty good at posting everywhere else. <laughs> You're a social media manager. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I know. My 13-year-old social media manager. <laughs> Mom, you need a healthier Instagram. <laughs> Everybody finds their one that is their favorite, I think. so. And it's, it's sort of also about ease of use. And I have not figured out, okay, so this is how I'm old, right? I haven't figured out how to sign on to my Instagram on my computer, so I only have it on my phone. <laughs> and it's so much harder to do things on your phone. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get my 13-year-old to show me how to log Absolutely. on my computer. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think, I don't know if you can post from your computer, though. Yeah, I think you can, but I don't know how to do it either because. No. Yeah. yeah. We're all, yeah. we were, no, we're, we're all bo- born before 1990. We don't know what the hell's going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, thanks so much for coming in. Thank coming you for having all me. the way to New York City. Oh, it was fun. Yeah, it was so fun to have you here, and and we really loved the book so much, and we're so happy that you're going to keep writing within the universe. Thanks. And yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, don't, please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Yes. You guys are excellent at that. We have a lot of reviews. It helps people find us. So we really, really appreciate everybody who's taking the time to do it. We read every one. I screenshot it, send it to Clayton. If you want to email us recommendations, anything, you can email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Twitter is uh, Learning Tropes. At Instagram, we are at Learning the Tropes. The Facebook group we have is the Learning the Tropes Troop. Come join us there. We always release all of our books early there for the next month so you'll know what's coming up mm-hmm. learning the tropes is a part of the frolic podcast network find more podcasts you love at frolic.media podcast mm-hmm.